Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and as part of our Healthy Art of Living interview series, we have an excellent interview with the founder of Cancer Wellness for Life, Sammy Mansfield. Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Sammy Mansfield is the founder of Cancer Wellness for Life, an organization that develops oncology exercise resources for individuals, hospitals, and corporations. Sammy Mansfield is also the Director of Oncology Wellness for the Sarah Cannon Cancer Institute at HCA Midwest Health Hospital and has been an oncology exercise specialist since 2003. Sammy Mansfield is experienced in both community and hospital-based cancer centers, nonprofit organizations to help patients live better, healthier lives, and Sammy writes articles for the American Council on Exercise. Sammy Mansfield has been helping patients and hospital administrators navigate the research and practice of offering exercise programs for people with cancer for almost 20 years. The role exercise plays in cancer care is becoming increasingly important. Exercise is known to be safe and helpful for cancer survivors during and after treatment, and oncologists and their teams continue to recommend it to their patients. Recent research studies point to many specific benefits of exercise. Some show it significantly improves cancer-related fatigue compared to medications and that it can help improve survival for some advanced cancers, including metastatic colorectal cancer. Research also shows the long-term benefits of increased exercise and a healthy lifestyle after cancer to reduce other diseases as well as the benefits of higher-intensity exercise. Sammy Mansfield will share why exercise and activity is so crucial during cancer, why functional fitness is so important to cancer survival. Sammy Mansfield will offer tips on nutrition and hydration for treating cancer, involving family, and how you can do this in a way that really helps you to get the outcomes that you want and also do it in a way that is safe and is really going to make you feel better over the long term, even living beyond cancer. That's what exercise is all about, everybody. So please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show an upbeat, enlightening interview with Sammy Mansfield, founder of Cancer Wellness for Life. Sammy Mansfield, welcome to the program. Thanks, Paul, for having me. It is great to talk to you. I think this subject is is really an important one, and you've just got this great story. But let's start kind of right at the beginning, because I think you have this really interesting kind of perspective that's that's been developed and honed over some, some time. And maybe tell us how you became aware of this kind of this intersection between exercise and cancer. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting when I first was introduced to someone deeply affected by cancer, where it affected, you know, them physically and mentally and a lot of the emotional components. Um, it was actually somebody I did not know personally. And I was working at a, a fitness center um, here in Kansas City. Interestingly, I was working with another one of your podcast guests, Sabrina Joe, and I um, go way back. And I had this um, referral for a new client. And I called her on the phone and did my, hi, how are you? Tell me about you. And she really was very open about how cancer had impacted her um, beginning two years ago at this time, at the time that I met her in 2003. And she explained to me um, the, the physical challenges of reconstruction surgery for breast cancer, not really working out, lymphedema, emotional challenges, weight gain, et cetera. And she just kind of kept going. And I remember taking notes 
and you know wanting to google everything later and her last question to me was do you think you can help me and i immediately answered of course not knowing that there really wasn't solid evidence backing up what you and i know is important to somebody in- affected by cancer and so i really think that that attitude and just that relationship i built with her um with Kim helped because she was so open and transparent to teach me and connect me with people and then I just really started digging through what do we know and how do how do I help her and Kim's still a good friend of mine to this day and and is doing well um and and so it's it's great to see but it's amazing to think back in 2003 we didn't have a single study and that's kind of crazy to think about it is, especially because there is so much research now that we're going to talk about. Much of it you've shared with me, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting in, into that. But maybe maybe talk a little bit about this, because often people need some hope and they need some direction with their treatments, and you, you offer that. And so tell us a little bit about what the program specifically offers in those areas of hope and just giving them a little bit of direction, a little bit of, okay, take that next step. Right. Definitely, you know, if we fast forward to 2021, where we are, you know, really the recommendations for people affected by cancer, no matter what stage they were or cancer type, came out in 2010. And the 2010 recommendations basically told everybody affected by cancer, you should exercise. It is safe. It is feasible no matter where you are. The challenge has been and where our program is different is how do you translate that into somebody that's on chemotherapy for colon cancer versus breast cancer or brain cancer? And so a lot of times I think the recommendations are really great in general, but we live in a personalized medicine world. And so we personalize medicine down to subtypes and immunomarkers of of cancer types, which is improves survival dramatically, but we don't personalize an individual's exercise or wellness program. And so as we've evolved these recommendations, again, they evolved in 2019, we added the importance of resistance training. So our program has actually been always a functional fitness program. And so people say, well, what does that mean? And I tell people, well, we do squats. The reason we teach people how to squat is because I want you to not only get off the toilet, I want you to get in and out of the car, but I want you to be able to pick something up. I want you to be able to squat down and grab something or even bend down if you need to safely put your socks and shoes on. So the functional fitness piece is really the magic of what we do. And certainly the evidence backs this, but it's really going to take individuals such as myself, and, and there's more than just me, to help look at the basics but make them personalized just like we do the treatment plans. And so by giving people this functional capability, just those what might be to, – to anyone else might be seemingly insignificant, but that can give some hope. That can give them some direction just by starting at that very basic level of, of just doing some squats, for example. Exactly. You know, I think really thinking back to just your hope comment, I have worked in oncology, like I said, for almost 20 years. And I refer to oncology in a joking but serious manner as what I call the red light district. And I know when people hear that, right, they're like, what does that mean? Because oncology is so good at telling people, don't do this, don't do that. Oh my gosh, stop with whatever you have going on. And it's like a crisis, right? And we really know that fitness, especially these exercises that help people do simple things, help give them hope that they can move past their diagnosis. They can move past all of the things that maybe 
cancer um, itself or even a surgery or a side effect have taken away. And, you know, function is living. And so whether that's, I want to go to my grandkids' soccer game, or I want to go on a vacation, or I just want to be able to live independently, fitness and function give people quality of life and hope. And not only do I believe that, I've seen it. And so I think that it's really important that we remind people, what can you do? Not what you cannot do. We can work around that, but what can you do? What do you want to do? And that does ultimately give hope. Hope they can get past this, for sure. I love that. I, I really love that too, Sammy. You, you, this phrase "function is living." That that's really fantastic. So, let's talk about the the evidence. Uh, maybe tell us about how the program is evidence based, and give us some real world examples, and perhaps even cite cite some of your research results. Definitely. You know, interestingly, the exercise um, and studies in oncology have thousands of studies across the world. And here in the States, we have a a pretty um, strong program of researchers, but even throughout the world and in every part of the world, we know that of these thousands of studies, only about hundreds of them are randomized control trials where we control a group of non-exercisers versus exercisers. But about 85% are done in breast cancer. So a lot of the things that we need to think about is how to correlate these results into other cancer types. So a lot of times in our group, we study a very um, heterogeneous population. We've studied all stages, all types of cancer, people living with metastatic cancer for years to newly diagnosed. And what we know is rather than just study things like general quality of life, we study going back to their squat or their deadlift, what is their strength? What does their pure strength look like? We look at their sleep. We look at their function um, as far as mental function and focus, things like chemo brain, which a lot of people really are challenged with going back to work. I just can't focus the same way. So we've studied all of these measures um, since our program was incepted, which has been close to 10 years. I think it's important to give a couple of really fun examples um, that people might be able to relate to. So here's a really key one that we see. Remember I said 85% of of our cancer population studied is breast. Well, we know for the average breast cancer survivor patient, however you want to term this, that they lose about the muscle mass in a year that they would normally lose in about a decade. And that comes from sedentary behavior. Now I'm in treatment. I might be having to recover from a surgery, et cetera. But what oncology knows is that's just kind of normal. And I think to myself, that should not be normal. But these are people that maybe aren't exercising or following these recommendations. So I had a patient, um, this has really been about two and a half years ago now, but when she was during treatment, she started immediately during chemotherapy, even before radiation with twice a week functional fitness. And she not only didn't lose muscle mass, she gained muscle. She gained 5% of her muscle during chemotherapy and radiation. And so for her, she didn't have the weight management challenges. She didn't have the cognition challenges. And everybody kept saying to her, wow, you're doing so good. And she said, am I that abnormal? And, you know, again, it was just somebody participating that took cancer and exercise and did them together. Um, There's also been, I think it's important to know the research done in the advanced cancer population. So thinking about stage four, which is pretty much um, known to be incurable, but often people live extended periods of time. So a study came out 
a couple of years ago out of Dana-Farber in Boston that looked at metastatic colon cancer and exercise on survival. And this study showed that even low intensity exercise, walking just a few hours a week was associated with almost 20% reduction in cancer progression. And that for someone with an advanced cancer is phenomenal. And interestingly, I have a, a person I've been working with since the beginning of the year during COVID was diagnosed with metastatic colon. And same thing, you know, is gaining muscle on treatment, preparing for a massive surgery, showing no evidence of disease, but living her life as a individual and a business professional and going on vacation this week. So these are, you know, people that said, I'm not going to take those excuses. I'm going to do whatever I can do. And the evidence will back this. So and we have countless stories, but I think these are a couple of really key ones that are important. Well, Sammy, you talk a little bit about this loss of muscle mass and that it doesn't really have to be the case during cancer treatment, this idea of strengthening and doing some weight training. You also talk about the combination of aerobic activity when uh, combined and how it might reduce cancer and mortality. Please tell us a little bit about that, in particular with a a geriatric focus for those of us who are a little older. Definitely. I think that's a great question because people say, well, what kind of exercise should I do? And I might enjoy one versus the other, but really ultimately the research lends on the importance of doing combined aerobic and strengthening exercise and activity. So as an example, um, I'm a huge fan of strengthening because I think it is underutilized, but certainly just a simple walking um, or aerobic program, biking, stationary bike is really key because cardiotoxicity or heart damage is one of the most concerning um, side effects for patients, especially our older patients that may have reduced cardiac function. But I think the magic is how do we put these pieces together to meet these 150 minutes of of moderate to uh, physical activity per week or 75 minutes of vigorous, right? You know, how, what's that, what's that look like? Well, and, and how important is it? So you just really recently, um, towards the end of last year, there was a prospective or kind of after the fact study of adults in the United States. It was almost 500,000 adults studied that looked at all cause and just specific mortality by a disease such as cancer. And what we saw is that for adults that met the combined physical activity recommendations, they had a 40% less chance of dying from all causes. And for cancer, that was 46% from meeting those just general combined exercise recommendations. And for patients that did, you know, strength only or aerobic only, they weren't as high. They were closer to 10, maybe up to 30. But what I always tell people is that your program can include both things where if you're doing a squat and you do multiple reps, your heart rate comes up. So you're getting a little bit of aerobic benefit. These movements also translate into life. Life is not in a box. So just a bicep curl or just a walk isn't going to translate to living better. For the geriatric patient population, I think it's important to say that we're always worried about falls. And if we bubble wrap our geriatric population and they are not able to say, live as independently as they choose to, we might be preventing falls, but we're really increasing deconditioning, which then increases fall risk. So I always tell people, start smart, but you need to move. And the combination of being able to get out of your chair with strength and then walk across the room is now doing that combined exercise program that we all need as adults. 
Hi, it's Paula. We'll be right back with Sammy Mansfield, founder of Cancer Wellness for Life. But I want to talk to you for just a minute about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. You've probably heard about Inside Tracker for Health. They've been providing personalized medicine for over 10 years. New companies crop up every month doing telehealth or something related to health. But again, Inside Tracker has been improving health for over a decade, so you can trust them. So what does Inside Tracker do? Well, let me start by telling you about me and what I love to do. I love to be outside. I love to exercise. And at 64, I feel really great as a result of my outdoor lifestyle and my exercise routine. Inside Tracker helps me do that, and they've been helping me do that for life. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside you and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. With some companies, they focus on improving health from one standpoint, nutrition or mental health or physical fitness, aging, physical appearance or others. Inside Tracker aims to do all of the above in a very meaningful way, providing potentially a wealth of actionable insights using this array of tests and, and the tons of data that that generates and a sophisticated algorithm that I mentioned. Personalized nutrition, along with exercise and healthy habits, is the most powerful weapon for fighting chronic disease. And we in the Not Old Better Show audience know that. And the best way to maintain a robust health span and lifespan is by using the wonderful core tests from Inside Tracker. People make over 200 food based decisions a day. That's why there are over 8,000 scientifically studied foods in the Inside Tracker algorithm. Inside Tracker doesn't just tell you what to eat, they tell you why and they help you adjust over time. It's a fantastic system. Your blood, DNA, and habits are this goldmine of data, and together they're a snapshot of your body in time. They tell you what's going right and what's not. And Inside Tracker tells you how to improve. Among the various plans at Inside Tracker, you start with a blood test scheduled by you, not anyone else. So privacy is at the forefront of any Inside Tracker plan. Your DNA is analyzed along with your nutrition and other habits, and Inside Tracker offers recommendations based on science to customize specifically to your body's needs. Then Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way toward reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. It's customizable, it's simple, it's based on you. I'll put up links to the science as well as the testimonials, which are many and varied, so our Not Old Better Show audience will hear from others like me and like you about how this works for them. And now for a limited time, our Not Old Better Show audience can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash NOB. Again, that's insidetracker.com slash NOB. We're going to have links to this too in the show notes, so you'll find everything there. But remember, insidetracker.com slash NOB. And now back to our interview with Sammy Mansfield, founder of Cancer Wellness for Life. Thanks, everybody. We are with Sammy Mansfield. Sammy Mansfield is the founder of Cancer Wellness for Life. Sammy Mansfield has a diverse 
experience background in both community and hospital-based cancer centers, nonprofit organizations, all of which is uh, designed to help patients live better, healthier lives, and has been helping patients and hospital administrators navigate the research and practice of offering exercise programs for people with cancer. So how is it that you're working with payers to better fit this this program, your all of your efforts with care options and protocols and, and offering this right alongside of health coverage? And I can't let this go unasked. This <laughs> <laughs> how do we pay for it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, payers are definitely starting to get interested mm-hmm in lifestyle medicine. Um, I don't think that the, this is looked at as highly in cancer as it should, but you know, a lot of our patients have comorbidities, um, especially obesity. Obesity is known to cause 13 types of cancer just by what we have evidence. And I think this number is going to continue to increase. So payers are looking for lifestyle programs to reduce their burden. Hospitals are looking for ways to keep their patients out of inpatient and coming in through the ER. So they're tending to fund and support programs that are lifestyle medicine, where they include exercise and nutrition, but not always a physician, because sometimes the physicians are allocated to more clinical needs. So we're seeing such a strong um, interest from our health systems and health plans thinking, all right, we've got to work on lifestyle. And exercise is a key piece of lifestyle because again, obesity management, but strength and function. So less fall risks, less broken bones, more independence to make healthier meals, get out and get your errands done. So I think that's where the interest is going. Um, There is talk that the exercise and oncology uh, will be standard of care by 2029. I have no idea if it's going to take that long. I think it will be more large payers, to your point, um, understanding that, and they're going to drive that forward. I also think it's important to know that patients, all of us as individuals, can be our own advocate. Meeting exercise recommendations, again, the 150 minutes per week of moderate, reduces out-of-pocket health-related expenses by up to a third in cancer patients. A third. So people are like, I don't know if I can afford it. Well, guess what? You can save money. And so I think that it's really important to look at this multiple ways. Yeah, excellent point, Sammy Mansfield. So we've talked a little bit about the strength training aspect, the aerobic aspect. There are mental benefits to this, too. You talked a little bit about cognition. Tell us about those benefits, the benefits to our mental well-being. I This is my favorite thing to talk about because, as we mentioned earlier, Cancer really pulls people's rugs out and they now think about every ache and pain as their cancer coming back or, you know, they have to plan their lives around chemo treatments. And so really seeing the mental benefits of a physical program is one of those things I think that we have a hard time measuring, but is something we see all of the time where people come into a fitness exercise class and they do something they didn't think they could do. They they were stronger. They were around people that made them feel great about themselves or normalized who they are. And they get that great response, um, you know, in, in mentally as well. I call it a dose response. And that word is not anything new, but dose is for the four neurohormones that we know, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. So I look at it like the dose response of exercise can improve dopamine, your feel-good hormone, oxytocin, I am surrounded by supportive community, serotonin, 
a change in program kind of produces that serotonin. A lot of us know serotonin for the SSRI drug family that we take for anti-anxiety or anti-depression. And that can happen from an exercise program. And of course, endorphins, just moving improves endorphins overall. So I tell people, everybody's different, but walking into your exercise program, class, YouTube, you just feel better when you're done because you're getting a dose response. I have a great caregiver patient example. We have somebody that works out with us in our gym facility. He has a glioblastoma or a brain tumor, um, is doing really well beating the odds, showed up in our facility with his wife because at the time he couldn't drive and she was kind of there to supervise. Well, she now is one of our hardest working participants. Anytime we show something new, she wants to try it. She will push her husband to come to class when he's not feeling so well, because she's like, you can modify anything. But she said, I feel like I am tackling cancer in a totally different way when I'm in here taking care of myself and him. And so I think that we need to be mindful that the act of doing exercise produces things that we can't measure, but we know we feel better. We just need to start. Yeah, well, good. Let, let's talk a little bit about the caregivers then because it, it, cancer is so pervasive for those that uh, are experiencing it. But family members also get drawn in to this. How do you include them? How do you make sure that the caregivers are getting some attention but yet still participating? Because sometimes there's a certain level of denial that's going on within the family about yeah, this. Well, definitely. And I think that caregivers have a lot of responsibility without as much um, ability to do action steps. And we need to remember that lifestyle behavior is shared. So if the caregiver is going to make something, you know, unhealthy or choose to just sit around and watch Netflix, that's going to really affect their patient. So we take it on that cancer doesn't just affect the patient, it affects the close community, whether that's a, a child, a parent, a best friend. And so we tackle them side by side. And I sit down with people um, and say, hey, you know, who's the closest person to you that's going to be responsible for helping you? And we have a shared conversation. And I tell all of my caregivers, you have to take care of yourself. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, you won't be able to take care of your person. And those responsibilities um, may have to go to somebody else. So we find that we set goals together really does help. But I find that caregivers feel valued when we address and acknowledge that they are impacted and they just don't always get asked what's important to them. You know, what are their barriers? So I, I always recommend we, we ask those questions. And for those of you know, our listeners here, please do that, you know, find out how that's going to affect the person that you, um, you know, they're caring for and how that's going to affect them individually. It's super important. Some forms of cancer treatment, some forms of chemo will produce some bone density differences, perhaps even making the bones a bit more brittle. How safe is the program for those, you know, their overall structural composition? Right. Oh, and, you know, that's always a concern because as we age, right, we lose bones. I think it's important to also realize that certainly the aging factor, we look for osteoporosis or osteopenia, but in addition, just lack of inactivity is one of the biggest factors to loss of bone. So if the the U.S. adults are 25% of our adults in the United States, I'm sorry, are meeting physical activity recommendations, that's about maybe half, half of the cancer survivors are also meeting those recommendations. So less people are being 
less active. So that lack of activity is going to lead to more bone loss. But the concern we have is, does that increase fall risk? If someone is tired, if someone is weak, they might have other side effects like neuropathy or loss of sensation. So they are increased fall risk. Our program and programs I recommend really understand that functional fitness in a controlled environment um, is going to help with safety, but also produce muscle and bone density. And the reason why is we know that load creates bone cells. It doesn't matter if you're in treatment or you're on a hormone blocker, by adding load, whether that's resistance or walking to our point of earlier of combined exercise, that is going to produce new bone cells. A cancer diagnosis doesn't mean your body stops making new bone cells, but you have to do the work. Let's talk for a second about nutrition too, because often cancer sufferers experience dietary issues, loss of appetite, um, maybe their their protein even becomes depleted through all of this. So how do you factor nutrition into this? You referred to it earlier, but let's maybe dive yeah. into it a little bit more. Definitely. Nutrition is key. Food is fuel. And so I actually treat all of our the people that I work with, it doesn't matter if I'm in the gym or in a cancer center, like an athlete, because their body is going through so much intensity every single day from chemo, radiation, et cetera. And so rather than work on standardly just preventing malnutrition, we really focus on how do we build them up. So like you mentioned, protein is really important. Um, loss of appetite, it really does depend on the reason. Sometimes it's nausea or taste, but we really look at how can we help people um, get in some of these creative food needs with creative recipes, but really focusing on food as fuel. And if you can't taste protein powder, you know, or maybe you you don't taste chocolate or vanilla anymore, you know, what can we mix in to your oatmeal? Or is it a smoothie? Or is it a prepared meal? There's so many healthy options. But we educate people and caregivers, you aren't going to feel better without fuel. So it's something I really encourage people move past the clinical dietitian role and look for lifestyle related nutrition because it will help you meet your goals. Thank you for that. And and for all of this, what a what a wealth of information about this, uh, you know, some of the, the new directions that cancer treatment is taking. Sammy Mansfield's been our guest, of course, great advice on activity, wonderful advice on uh, family caregivers. And then, of course, I wrote this down, function is living. Sammy Mansfield, thank you for your time. Thanks for all of your great work. Keep it up and please come back. I know this is going to be a subject that our audience is going to be eager to hear more about, especially as new research starts to bubble up and you get uh, information about some of these other areas. But please join us again. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. My thanks to cancer exercise expert Sammy Mansfield for her time, expertise, and thoughtful preparation in joining me today about living beyond cancer, a complex subject. Thanks to Inside Tracker for sponsoring today's episode, and my thanks always to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. Of course, my thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please keep your emails coming to me at info at notold-better.com. Get vaccinated if you haven't already. And if you know somebody that isn't vaccinated, please talk to them kindly, politely, and explain the importance of all of us being vaccinated. Remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.